There's a story of two brothers. They were both farmers. They both owned a farm, and their farms were adjoining each other. So they would share equipment. They would help each other out. They would do a lot of their chores together until one day, after 40 years, one of them said something they shouldn't have. The other retaliated, and before you knew it, it was a full-blown war. The younger brother took his bulldozer, plowed a ravine between the farms, broke into the levee so that the water made a barrier between their farms. This creek ran through it, and every time they looked across, they would see this divide and be reminded. So one day, when a carpenter came to the door of the older brother and said, I would love to make a little extra money. I can do pretty much anything. Is there anything that I can do for you? The older brother looked across that creek and thought of his brother, and he said, you know what? My neighbor, that's my younger brother, he made that creek between us, and every time I look over there, I'm angry. I want to just shut him out, so I want you to build an eight-foot fence uh, out of wood so I can't see and just, just shut him out. So the carpenter said, okay, I think I understand what you need. Uh, where's the material? The older brother showed him, and then he had to go into town. So the carpenter set to work, measuring, cutting, nailing, digging holes. When the brother got home, when the older brother got home, the carpenter was just finishing up. And he came over and he didn't see a fence. In fact, what he saw was a bridge. And on the other side of the bridge was his younger brother. And his younger brother yelled across, after all I did to you, you go and repair the things like this? They walked across the bridge and met in the middle and embraced. And just, when they turned around, the carpenter was packing up to leave, and they said, we have more jobs for you. And the carpenter said, I have more bridges to build. Reconciliation, bringing together opposed parties, is a beautiful thing. But it's not always as easy as building a bridge. In today's passage, we're going to look at two groups of people that are really opposed to each other. Like these two brothers, they were at odds with each other and they were hostile. We've talked a little bit about these in the, in the weeks leading up to today as we've been working through Ephesians, the Jews and the Gentiles, two groups opposed to each other. And we have no understanding of how opposed they were. So let me read to you what Scottish theologian William Barclay said about this opposition that they had, this animosity they had towards each other. Here's what he says. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such 
was such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. <clears throat> this was some severe animosity, severe hostility that these groups had for each other. And it wasn't supposed to be this way. God chose the Jews, the Israelite people, to be a blessing to the nations. They were supposed to be a light that shone God's glory, his grace, and his invitation to know him. But they missed the mark by far. Instead of being a blessing, blessing they were hostile. And so this is the context of the passage we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians 2. And we're going to start reading if, with verse 11. And, uh, and I hope that that helps you set the tone for, for what we read. So Ephesians 2, verse 11, we're going to take it in three different sections here. So verse 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Two times in these verses, Paul tells the people, the Gentile audience that he's writing to, to remember. It's interesting because in Philippians, he tells us, he commends people to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. But the idea in Philippians was don't dwell on your failures. Don't dwell on what the things that are about you because we're straining towards something about God. And what Paul is doing here and saying to remember, he's remembering the desperate situation you were in so you can focus in on God again. The focus is always on God's glory and what he has done for us and what he's doing for us. So he tells them, remember the desperate state. And he tells them about five things that they were, that was a, between them and God. So first of all, they are not part of the citizenship of Israel. By being, just by being born a non-Jewish person, they were, not, they were not in the citizenship. They were not part of the blessed, blessed people. And so they were excluded from citizenship, which means they were excluded from the covenant uh, of the promise. Now, Part of this promise, part of this covenant of the promise was this Messiah that they would hope for, that, that the Jewish people had hoped for. But the Gentiles didn't have that hope because they were outside of the, the citizenship. So they were excluded from the citizenship, they were excluded from this covenant of promise, which means they were separate from Christ. And that means they were without hope and without God. Now, there were other gods and temples were that you, you didn't go very far without coming across a temple in the, that world. And so they could go and worship a god. Uh, they probably heard about the Israelite god, but they were without the hope of a god who is over everything and can make sense of both the hope and, and the, the joys as well as the struggles and the hurts. So they were, they were separate by far from all these blessings. And Paul's reminding them, this is where you were, you were far away. 
but in Christ you were brought near. So let's keep reading. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Paul adds another layer of division here, this dividing wall of hostility. And in order to understand this dividing wall, you have to know a little bit more about the temple. So Solomon, or uh, Herod the Great built uh, a, a temple and that's where the Israelites would go to worship God. And in this temple that he built, there were several different courts. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, and the court of the um, priests. And so the, the Gentile people were allowed to approach, but only to a certain point. So the court of the Gentiles was on the, the lowest level. Then there was a wall, and you had a bunch of steps, another level, and then another wall, and some more steps, and then there's where, where the courts of the women were, and then you get closer to the presence of God, and there's the court of the men, and get closer, and there's the court of the priests. So the Gentiles could look up at the level of where the priests could approach God, but they couldn't enter. In fact, written on that first wall was something like this. It says, no one of another nation may enter, and whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death that ensues. So this was a very physical, very visible barrier that the Gentiles, that, that was between the Gentiles and the Jews, between the, the, both the groups of people and between the Gentiles and approaching the God of the Israelites. So when Paul says that Jesus broke this dividing wall of hostility, that is hugely significant for bringing them from far to bringing them near. And it says that he did that in his flesh, um, and he set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He wasn't setting aside the moral law, but what he was setting aside is the rituals and ceremonial cleansings that people had to do as they came closer and closer to the presence of God. It, the Holy of Holies was a place where only one priest could go once a year, and, uh, and then as you got further away, there was more people that could approach, but you could only approach so far before you could uh, actually approach the Holy of Holies. And in order to do that, there was all kinds of rituals and ceremonies that had to be done in order to prepare yourself to enter into this space where the holy God was. It was a dangerous place for anyone who was impure or unclean. And so uh, part of this was a sacrificial system. The, the cutting of a the letting of the blood, killing of an animal and the blood uh, of an of a animal that was pure was an atonement it covered the sin of the person offering it and 
that had to be done on a continual basis to keep covering sins. And so when Jesus died on the cross, his death was a once and for all. Uh, now we can approach God through the blood of Jesus rather than having to sacrifice an animal. And so what Jesus did is he put aside those, all those ritual things that we had to, be, to do to be able to approach God. And now it says we can approach, we have access to the Father because of what he did and through the Spirit. It's just amazing that these Gentiles were brought from far away to coming close. So in Jesus' body, it says, for he himself is our peace. And that goes back to that phrase, in Christ. We've talked about this every week so far as we've talked about Ephesians, this phrase that Paul continues to use, we are in Christ. If we've asked him to forgive us of our sins and to lead our lives, we are in Christ. And in Christ, we have all these blessings. And Jesus says, Paul says, he is our peace because we, when we're in Christ, we have peace. We are no longer Gentile, separated from Jew. But we are together, he says, one new humanity. And it's not just that he brought us together, but he's creating something brand new, this new community that is in Christ. So it says Jesus is our peace. It says he made our peace. And he did that by reconciling these two groups with each other and people with God. We are doubly reconciled with each other and with Almighty God. And then it says that we, so, so now that we have peace, we are in Christ, we're this new humanity, we can approach the Father uh, without all this ceremony, um, because of what Jesus did, it says that he came and he preached pre peace to those who were far away and to those who were near, to those who were Gentiles and those who were Jews. There's a little bit of discussion about when did Jesus preach that. And I think after reading many different people's thoughts on this, that this includes us today. We are in Christ preaching this peace. So we have been given peace, we've been reconciled, but because of that, we are made reconcilers. We are to preach that peace to others that, that don't know him and to each other who do because this peace is so important, this reconciliation. So let's move on to the last section that adds more to this. Verses 19 through 22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we talked a little bit about temples and that temple language, seeing temples, going to temples, it was a huge part of society when this was written. Uh, you, you, you understood that you go to a temple to approach the presence of deity. And, and you, you have to prepare yourself and, and be cleansed and, and all this stuff in order to approach the deity. And it says that in these, in these verses, it says that we were foreigners and strangers. We, we, 
weren't able to approach God, but now in Christ we are. And in fact, we're being built into a new temple. So he says we were strangers before, but we are now fellow citizens with, in God's kingdom. So before Gentiles were not part of the Israelite people, but now in Christ, they're part of this new kingdom that God is creating, this new humanity. And not only are we part of God's kingdom, but we're part of his household. This is blood language. If you were born a Gentile, you weren't, didn't have the blood of a Jew, so you weren't part of God's people. But now in Christ, we are all under Christ's blood, part of this new household. We are, we're not only citizens, but we're family. We belong. It's more intimate. And then it gets to this temple language where we are being built into this temple. So not only are we able to approach God without all this ritual in order to come into his presence, he's actually put his dwelling, he dwells in us. He's making us a temple in which he puts his dwelling place. It's an amazing reconciliation between us and God and us and other people. It's a wonderful reminder of who we are in Christ. This passage is, it's amazing how it reminds us what we are without Christ and now what we are in Christ. We are a brand new humanity, a new society, a new family that God is building and, he's, and it's not done yet. He's building this temple. He, Jesus is a cornerstone. The apostles and prophets, first who heard about it, they're the, they're the foundation. And then as we are added, we are being built into this temple that is God's dwelling. So who is God? He is someone who reconciles people to himself and to each other. What did he do? He made peace through his death and resurrection on the cross. And in light of who God is and what he did, who are we? We're reconciled. We are a reconciled people. We are made right with each other and with God in Christ. And therefore, we are reconcilers. Paul says in another, in another passage, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is our, our ministry as his temple. We are reconcilers. We are people who are reconciled in order to reconcile others to Jesus. And the implications of this are as huge in our time as they ever were. First of all, no matter the division, the Jews and the Gentiles, as we saw, were very hostile to each other. There's a very big dividing wall between them. And God broke that down in Jesus. And he can break down whatever this, whatever the barrier is, whether it's racial, whether it's ethnic, whether it's gender, whatever the barrier is, in Christ, it's broken down. Now, it's not easy. You read through the book of Acts, you can see how they struggled to figure out how Jews and Gentiles work together and become this new household. It's not easy. It takes time. It takes effort. But if you, if you give it to Christ, if you come together in Christ, 
it can be mended into something beautiful. There's this Japanese art of taking broken pottery and putting it together with gold that embraces the flaws and imperfections. It's called kintsugi. And it's just a, a wonderful metaphor for what God does in Jesus. He's bringing together these things. He says, remember what you were so that you can bring glory to God in, in what, how he fixes things, how he reconciles. So it takes a lot of work and it can be done. Another implication is if you are at odds with somebody, we're reconcilers. We're reconciled in order to reconcile. You cannot be hostile to someone in Christ. That's not who we are. We're reconciled. We have no barriers between us, between us and between God. And so we need to forgive. If you need to forgive somebody today, if you're holding animosity or hostility towards someone, you need to take that to Jesus. You need to bring it to the cross. You need to let him do the work in your heart in order to be able to forgive because we're reconciled and we're reconcilers and we need to do that work and it starts here with me, with us. We start it. We live in a competitive world, a world where we're always comparing ourselves to others and we're looking at others and wondering how they're comparing us to somebody else and we're thinking, okay, I'm not as bad as that guy, but at least I'm better than that guy, so I'm okay. And if we stand in front of somebody, we tend to be judging them. Uh, am I better than them or are they better than me? Am I even worthy of being in their presence? Are they worthy of being with me? We, we, we just have this ingrained in our thinking in our society. We live in a competitive world where we're judging and comparing ourselves with each other. And in Christ, as reconciled people, instead of comparing and judging, we need to look at the person in front of us with the perspective of Jesus. This is a beloved child of God someone that God desperately loves, that he paid the price of their life with his life so that they could be brought into this temple to be part of the dwelling place where he is, where we're reconciled with him and with God. So we can't look at people and judge them or compare. And we will naturally do that, so we need to confess and we need to change, and we need to strive to look at that person the way Jesus does, because our job is to reconcile people. So when we look at another believer, someone who is in Christ, we are reconciled with that person, and we need to look at them as someone that has gifts that maybe they're better at something, and I'm better at something, and that's a wonderful thing. It's not about judging or comparing, it's about working together. And we may come across other times, people that are not in Christ. And that's our opportunity to show off this reconciling power, to show the love for that person that will draw them in, that will display God's glory, that he reconciles, that they can be reconciled, that they can belong, that they can be part of this 
this family and be part of this temple where God's presence dwells. As we come to the communion table, it's all about what Jesus did for us with his death and his resurrection. He reconciled both of us to God and us to each other. And we can celebrate these truths and ponder what they mean and what our response should be. Let's pray together and prepare to come to the table. Dear God, we are so blessed. We've been talking about who we are in you as Ephesians, the book of Ephesians tells us, and we are reconciled people. We, in Christ, we don't have to worry about what someone thinks about us because we're in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God inside of us, that power at work in us. It doesn't matter what anybody may judge us or think about us or compare us to. You love us and you gave us this ministry of reconciliation. We can join you in being reconcilers. Help us as we ponder what that means. Touch each one of us, Holy Spirit, where we need to be touched with these words from your word. Make them alive in our hearts and show us what to do with them. In your name we pray, amen.